Well, good morning, friends, and happy new year, yes. 2021. 2021, Can't finally. I know, it feels like this year has gone on for more than 365 days. Yes. And yet we are here. Uh, we're so excited that uh, you're with us this morning. And we were just kind of talking about our yeah. New Year's uh, plans that we had. And you told me something um, that I feel like we need to confess in front of all of these people. Yeah, it might be controversial, okay. um, but it, I'm okay with it, so. Great. I can count on one hand how many times I have made it till midnight. Like ever at New Year's? Ever in my life made <laughs> cool. it till 12 o'clock New Year's. Really? Like wow. Ever, ever, ever. Okay, I love sleep. You probably True. know this. Um, nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. That's a rule in the Mitchell household. But <laughs> like even as a teenager, yeah. I would get woken up to see <laughs> the ball drop. Right. And then for most of our marriage, or at least the early years, Lucas was at Youth All Nighters and I was home with our kids. So right. I watched Eastern Countdowns and went to bed at nine. That's awesome. And I still do. So when I was a kid, I was like so determined to, to stay up for New Year's. So I think it was like eight or nine maybe. And my parents finally let me. And so uh, like the whole night goes on, whatever. The ball drops, everybody like shouts, Happy New Year! It's like this big moment. And I like looked at everybody after like the big moment had died down and I was like, that's it? That's it. And they were like, yeah. I was like, I'm going to bed. I was like so <laughs> upset about it. And so that's like very much shaped my future New Year's as well. Um, last year I moved on New Year's Day. So I did, I had an early morning. And so, yeah. um, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just anticlimactic. We're just maybe boring. I don't know. Well, we are boring, but also really great. You love us. If you don't know <laughs> us yet, you will love us <laughs> one day down the road. Even if we don't celebrate <laughs> New Year's very well. True. So. Well, we are so excited to have a guest speaker, someone that we love. Yeah. And if you have grown up in Powell River, you might recognize him because Evangel Church was actually the church yeah. that Ken Russell grew up in. And so it's always a joy when we get to welcome him back. But he is also the district superintendent for the BC and Yukon um, District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, which is what our church is affiliated mm. with. And so we are so excited to welcome him to be our first speaker of 2021. Yeah. Let's roll that intro video. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us this morning or this evening if you're watching it in the evening service as well. I'm glad to, to uh, rent some, some mental space in your mind today. I realize that all communicators of the gospel are on a rental agreement with listeners who allowed them into their soul for 30 minutes, and I better make this worthwhile to you because I know that that rental space can close very quickly. You can block me out. There can be distractions that can take you else, elsewhere rather than hearing this sermon. And so my message this morning is called The Journey of Life. It's about the entrance and exit door of this earthly life. We are not settlers in this life. We're sojourners. Our, our life is not the beginning and end from birth to death. It's from eternity to eternity. And while we walk on this planet, there are some important things that God asks us to do uh, and in consideration of what he has done through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, 
I read a book uh, a few years ago. In fact, it dates back into the 80s and 90s where this book was circulating. It was by Dr. Maurice Rawlings. Maurice Rawlings was a cardiologist. He was actually an atheist uh, in his early years. And he would do heart uh, um, surgery and, and valve replacements. And there were times when he was uh, taking a patient through surgery where he would actually lose them on the table. And, uh, of course, they would make every effort to uh, resuscitate the, the patients. And uh, some of them came back to life. Uh, and after they had been resuscitated, he asked them some questions because he was curious what the afterlife was like. So he asked them the questions on, on how uh, their experience was. And many of them would recount horrific experiences of suffering and pain and, and glimpses of fire and flames and torment, which alarmed him as an atheist. He felt there was nothing beyond the grave. He felt that when somebody lived a good life, they went into the ground and that was it. It was all over. Nothing beyond that moment. But then these people who had died and come back to life were telling him about real stories, real encounters with the afterlife, which got him curious. Now, there were other people who came back to life who gave stories of, of peace and comfort in the presence of their Savior, Jesus. They would describe this, this effervescent glow and, and, and uh, this person who just felt so comforting. And, and pastures that were green and, and um, glimmering streets and water that was refreshing. So Maurice Rawlings then wrote this book called Beyond Death's Door. And in fact, he has revised the book and updated it. So the later version of it was called To Hell and Back. And so uh, there is, those are great uh, books, and they're probably out of print now. But uh, they got me thinking about the afterlife. They got me thinking about what was actually beyond death's door. And if this life is a journey, then what happens when this journey is over? When I pass away, what will happen to me as a person, my body, my soul, my spirit? Uh, I, I recall being so concerned about this when we started pastoring in Duncan uh, as a youth pastor. I was going through all of these emotions on, on how uh, my afterlife would be lived. And, and here I am, a pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was a believer. I was spirit-filled. But um, I still was concerned about what would happen to me. And so one night, Brenda and I were sleeping, and we had this little apartment that was close to the downtown core of Duncan. And one night, uh, having thought about all this and being concerned about the rapture and everything else, uh, I was awoken in the middle of the night with this, this blaze of light in my room. And uh, I, I immediately woke up in a panic, in a sweat, because I'd been thinking about this. I looked over, and Brenda was missing. She was not in the bed. I began to sweat. I began to panic. I thought the rapture had happened, and I had been left behind. Because, you know, back then, the movies, uh, you know, A Thief in the Night and the other Left Behind series were circulating. And all I could think about was that guy in the field with the lawnmower still running and, you know, wars and rumors of wars and all of those things. And, and now Brenda was missing in bed. And I thought I'd been left behind. Surely my life is not going to be filled with suffering. And uh, right then, when I just about was ready to panic, I heard the flush 
in the, in the ensuite, and I knew Brenda was still on the planet. And so if she was on the planet, I was safe, because if anybody deserved to go to heaven in the rapture, it would have been her. So those kind of thoughts, I think, all resonate in our hearts. We think about them. So tucked in my message today, which is uh, an exposition of Christ's message, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found actually in Matthew chapter 7, a verse, I'll do verse 7 and 8, 13 and 14, and 21 and 23. But I would encourage you to read the entire chapter when you get a chance. So my message is about two doors, two directions, two destinies, and one big decision. One decision that every human being has to make. You see, this message is based on a parable that Jesus taught. And in a moment, I'm going to read that parable for you. Parables are stories that, that uh, work on contrast and parallel uh, uh, illustration, where uh, an earthly truth is, is contrasted with a heavenly reality. And Jesus would use this kind of teaching quite often. It was a form of storytelling in the scriptures. It was a form of conveying truth, yet veiling that truth so that people who did not believe could still fall under the mercy of God. You see, when Jesus taught in parables, he revealed truth to his disciples. But to those that were unbelievers, to those that were non-followers of Christ, this truth was a way of showing mercy so that they would be veiled from non-believers. This parable would engage them in a journey, but it would not condemn them for not believing. You see, this parable is a, a symbolic way of teaching truth. Here's a great quote by Warren Wiersbe. He says, The meaning of parables is never too obvious. And indeed, the purpose of parables is not to sell, uh, settle or define issues, but to challenge us to think more deeply about eternal issues, to think about things that really affect us at the end of this life's journey. So here's the parable. Let's read it together. Verse 7, Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, he goes on to say this in verse 13. Same chapter, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Enter through the narrow gate. Verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Matthew chapter 21 is toward the end of this, this uh, discourse. And Jesus again says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, this is a pretty sobering passage in Matthew because it deals with the journey of life 
And it sets out some criteria on who will enter eternal life and who will enter into destruction eternally and what the criteria is in moving into eternal life. It's not just professing that Jesus is Lord. It's actually doing the will of the Father. It's actually going a step beyond mere verbal assent, mere lip service to Jesus, like purchasing an insurance policy, rather than actually following Christ, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So the purpose of this parable is to reveal the life of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he says, I'm the gate, by the way. I'm the gate, and I will show you the way on how to live a life that brings you to eternal life. Jesus' life became the way, the example, the pattern, and he himself became the exit door to eternal life. So every human being, including myself, is on this journey. We all call it life. Now, some of us would think that we are, are bookended in this life by birth and death, and that's not true, because we are eternal beings. We have a body and a soul and a spirit, and the soul and spirit is eternal. The body will be separated. That's what death does. Death separates us. Spiritual death separates us from God. Physical death separates our soul and spirit from our physical body. But death is the ultimate separator. Life and eternal life bring that body together. One day, those who are followers of Jesus, those who are fully devoted followers of Jesus, will be reunited after their death, body and soul, with a transfigured uh, physical body. And they'll spend eternity with Jesus. So we're all eternal beings. We're all on this journey called life. Our decision now is where we are going to spend eternity. Where will we spend eternity? The rest of eternity hangs in the balance of one very important decision. And that decision is what you will do with Jesus Christ. If you ask him into your life, make him Lord of every decision, every ambition, and uh, put aside your selfish ambition and your autonomy and follow his ways, then Jesus said you will have eternal life. There are no redo buttons in life, my friends. There are no reset buttons. I had a computer crash the other day. And uh, after all the stress and worry and loss of data and information, I finally hit the Control-Alt-Delete button and in my task manager reset my machine. And it, all, it was all set back to its original settings, and, and I came back to life in my computer. Well, friends, your life's not like that. There are no redo buttons beyond the grave. You can't come back and redo life after you've passed away. So let me draw your attention in the next few moments to four important aspects of this teaching that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount. The first one, the first important principle here, is that earthly life offers two exit doors, and people must choose one. Let's read it again really quickly, and I'll just flash it up for you. It says in verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only. If I had a highlighter on, and I could reach into your screen, I would circle that word only. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. 
This is the New Living Translation, the second version of it. And it says, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. In some translation of scripture, uh, they use the word straight. Straight is the road. Uh, narrow, straight. Straight is not a, a, a direction as such. It's the constraint of a passageway. Kind of like the Strait of Malaspina. It's a narrow body of water between two uh, islands. And uh, it causes uh, a narrowing of the passage for boats. You see, the word pule, the word that directs us to that uh, illustration that Jesus is using of the gate, says that this is either an exit or an entrance. So when someone exits earthly life, they enter into the eternal realm. The wide door, the, white, the wide exit, leads to destruction. But the narrow door leads to eternal life. It's very distinct, not straight uh, and crooked, but straight in terms of narrow and constrained. It's the size, not of the door that matters, but it's the size of the life that's trying to enter in. You see, our selfish ambition won't fit through that narrow door. Our autonomy in life won't fit through that door. Our self-will, our self-determination, our sin will not fit through that narrow door. We must ask God to remove that from our lives so that we can enter through to eternal life. Let me read a passage that, that was uh, said to, to Timothy, a protege of the Apostle Paul. He writes this, he says, For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gives his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world just at the right time. You see, the wide gate worldview is somewhat flawed. This wide gate philosophy says every good person gets to go to heaven. You just have to have a shred of decency. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You just don't have to be an axe murderer. Just do nice things in your life. Some people would say this whole eternal life and eternal destruction, heaven and hell is all figurative. It's not real. It's not literal. God is a loving God and he's prepared a nice place for nice people. So just be nice. That's a bit of a flawed worldview. The wide gate philosophy is not equitable either. You see, the wide gate philosophy says that morality is subjective. That there is no absolute truth. So you can't tell someone how to behave based on some absolute rules. That's the wide gate philosophy. Good is all you need to be. You just need to do good things. And it doesn't matter what your sexual choices are like. It doesn't matter how you behave or what you think. That's not true. That falls short of what the truth is. You see, it's the, the first thing that God wants us to notice about this is that good will never be good enough because good is not how you come into eternal life. 
There was a rich man in the Bible, Matthew chapter 16, who, says, who said to Jesus, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, it's, it's not about good. Go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, obey all the commandments. And the, the rich man says, um, no, I've, I've done all that. How do, I, how do I get to eternal life? He says, sell your possessions, give them to the poor, follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. You see, good is never good enough. But secondly, bad is never bad enough. Because that's the whole reason why Jesus came to this earth. So that people who had sinned against God, sinned and broken and transgressed God's laws, would have hope that by believing in Jesus and receiving him as their redemption, they would have eternal life. So it's not a matter of how good I can be or how bad I was. It's about believing in the way, the truth, and the life. You see, God doesn't want anybody to perish. God doesn't want anyone to enter into destruction after their life is over. He wants everyone to come to eternal life. And 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says, He, the Lord, does not want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to come to repentance. So just at the right time, Jesus lays down his life and says, I'm the gate. I'm the pattern. Follow me. The second thing I'd like you to notice is that earthly life offers two directions that people can travel. There's a direction that leads people away from Christ and toward destruction. And there's a way that leads people toward Christ and toward eternal life. There are two directions. There are some important things that we must notice about these two directions. First, the easy way that leads to destruction is effortless. <laughs> it just doesn't require any kind of limitation in your moral behavior. It doesn't require any type of particular belief system, all spirituality is good spirituality, that's the easy way. There's no need for repentance. There's no need for reformation or cha change. There's, there's a, a default that comes in this path where everybody can be on this path. The majority of people in this world love the easy path. Let's face it, friends. I, I am a bit of a a lazy-natured person. If there was something that required hard work and no work, I would probably choose the no work because I'm not given to a whole lot of exertion. I'd love to sit in a hammock with a nice cool drink in my hand and watch the waves roll in. And if someone just promised me paradise for doing that all my life, that would be great. I'm pretty self-indulgent. I like to do things my way. Some would say that, that I, I'm, I'm uh, a little bit selfish. <laughs> I don't know who that would be, and if that's you out there, you need to repent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's, that's the easy path. It requires no effort on the person themselves. Many would choose the easy road, mistakenly believing that because it's heavily populated, it might be the right way, but it's not. That's what the Scripture tells us. You can't make your own rules. You can't live life with self-autonomy. Making Jesus Lord of your life is the way that leads to life. You see, Matthew 7, verse 13 says, the easy way that leads to destruction is the one that many people are on. 
It's heavily populated. And then in verse 14, the, the way is hard that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, there's a, a, quite a debate on this point among theologians on who finds faith and who finds eternal life, who finds Jesus. Does Jesus find you, or do you find Jesus? And I'm not going to get into that in this sermon because I only have a few minutes left. But um, I want you to know this, that the decision to accept or to reject Jesus is yours to make. It's yours to make, and I'll get to that in a moment. The third thing I want you to notice here is that earthly life ends at one of two eternal destinies. This passage is a little outside of our text from Matthew. It's actually found in John chapter 3, and it's a very familiar text that most people know. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into this world, into the world, not to judge the world but to save the world through him. You see, this draws us back to why Jesus used parables to teach. Because his mission in life was not to judge the world. That wasn't his mission at that moment when he came in flesh to live his 33 years on this planet. That judgment will come one day. Jesus will rule over the entire world along with the saints and judgment will fall. But that wasn't his mission when he was teaching with parables. That's why he revealed truth and veiled truth so that he would not judge or condemn anyone, but that he would cause them to think very deeply about the eternal realities of life. Here's the passage that really points to my third point. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. You see, that's the decision. That's the destiny that awaits every person. So if we were to re-examine our text in the Young's literal translation, he actually uh, says in that scripture, few are those who are finding him. So horisco is the word that's used there. It's actually few who find eternal life and this is the definition, after making an informed investigation. You see, eternal life is not something where you check out of your mind and just accept a bunch of rubbish. It's an informed pursuit of the life of Jesus. It's understanding who he is. It's understanding and rationalizing the work and the mission and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then accepting that. See, I had to do that because I'm skeptical by nature. I, I'm analytical by nature. And so when someone told me, just believe, that was fine, but I needed to figure it out. And so this passage in the Young's literal translation says, those who find it are those who make an informed inquiry after an investigation of the truth. And I would encourage you to do just that. Through careful consideration, diligent inquiry, understand who Jesus is. Finally, my fourth closing point, earthly life produces or provides you with one important decision. This is the decision that everyone has to make. I had to make this decision when I was 17 years old 
The important decision is yours to make right now. It's an important decision to either accept or reject Jesus. To, to make him Lord of your life. Not just to know him or to cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this for you and didn't I do that for you? Lord, didn't I go to church? Keith Green, who's passed away now, but he was a contemporary in my early years of ministry, he said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You have to make an informed inquiry and an important decision to accept or reject Jesus. This decision is found in verse 18 of John chapter 3. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, this important decision has two parts. First, accepting or rejecting Jesus. And then, secondly, doing the will of his Father in heaven. So, friends, I just want to close today with an invitation. I want to invite you. Some of you listening today probably made that decision to accept Jesus many, many years ago. And for that, I am grateful. I look forward to seeing you in eternity with Jesus, living our eternal lives in a place that's far better than this world. And that's hard to imagine because our world's a pretty good place. There are two exit doors that provide entrance into eternal life. Choose the narrow door, Jesus Christ. There are two directions that people take that either lead us away or toward Jesus. Doesn't matter if you're a heritage believer or just a new believer or if you're an unbeliever, if you have never made that decision before in your life. Choose the way that leads you in a pursuit of Jesus. Your destiny is sealed. The physical realities and the spiritual realities have all been predestined by God. He knows how this is all going to end, and we don't. So your destiny depends on your decision and your direction right now. And I would encourage you to follow Christ. And that decision begins with your confession of Jesus as Savior. And it goes on from there to your obedience in following him. Let me pray with you right now. Father, thank you for this opportunity to unpack Matthew chapter 7 to look at this parable that's embedded within the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for the listeners today who have been thinking about the two doors, the two directions, the two destinies, and the one important decision. Help us, Jesus, to take this message, to propagate it among our friends and our neighbors who aren't following you right now, and also to live it out in our own lives. So if you haven't made that decision today, I would love for you to pray this prayer with me. Just wherever you are, in your living room, or in a small group somewhere, whoever you are that's listening to this message, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just pray this after me. Jesus, I'm coming to you now. I want to ask for your forgiveness. Forgive me for everything that I've done that has been contrary to your will 
and your purpose for my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I abandon my moral autonomy and I make you Lord of my life. Forgive my sins and receive me as your child. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, what a great message from our very own Powell River born yes. and raised uh, Pastor Ken Russell. Lisa, you just have one announcement for us. I do, and that is giving. Uh, we have been so blessed to watch mm -hmm. your faithfulness over 2020. And as you know, 2021, we're not out of this COVID season yeah. as much as we really had all wish that we would be. And so our staff has been taking time over that Christmas break to pray and ask God just for some new creativity, but we would still invite you into the journey of partnering with Evangel Church. If what we're doing here has added to your faith journey, then would you consider partnering with us and sponsoring what is happening through this church family? So there are many, many ways that you can give this year. You can give in person here on Sunday mornings yeah. uh, from nine to noon when we are online. and. Hopefully we can begin gathering in person again soon. But we've missed you. We have we've missed had you some so time away. much. And so please come say hi to us this morning. Yeah, and then we're here in the office from Monday to Thursday, nine to five. And so you can always stop by during our office hours. Yep. Then myevangel.church forward slash give, you can give at any time. And for 2021, if you give in any of those capacities, you will get a tax receipt at the end Right. of the year yeah yeah well thanks friends so much for joining us we will see you again next week happy 2021